The study of warfare occupied much of my mind and time from the age of 19 to the age of 65. In the beginning, it was simply learning how to march, rank insignia, chain of command, and how to spit shine black boots. As the years went by and promotions went from stripes on sleeves to stars on shoulders, the learning curve moved to moving armies, then moving national policy. We Americans are lucky. We've never been invaded. And in spite of some politicians' claims, we're not being invaded now from the South. Those migrants crossing the Rio Grande are carrying children and hope for a better life, not rifles and thirst for blood. Although our record in the last three wars is 0-2-1, we've not had enemy soldiers goose-step through our capital, nor bombs level our cities. Afghanistan and Vietnam were not so much losses as they were abandonments of conflicts that we no longer believe worth fighting. Our American memories, except perhaps for the Southerners who are still smarting over the loss of the War of Northern Aggression, are for better or worse short. Few Americans, other than those who fought there or who lost a loved one there, remember or care much about Vietnam. Even fewer know anything about Korea or the draw that we fought to there. Not so in Europe, or at least among the people I know in Europe. Now, admittedly, most of the Europeans I know are military men. A few are diplomats, a few are politicians, but most are military men. That's because wearing a uniform for 35 years exposes one to a lot of military men. Military officers remember history. They remember wars. They study wars. It's their job. Tactics may change. Weapons may change. People don't change. National character doesn't change. Geography doesn't change. Hot, muggy air surrounded the linen-covered tablecloths in the parade grounds at the Citadel in Warsaw, Poland in August 2007. Candles graced the tables as dress-uniformed officers from the various NATO militaries mingled. The Citadel, now the soul of the Polish army, began life in 1832 at the order of Russian Tsar Nicholas I, who had built it in response to the Polish people's uprising against the Russian Empire. During World War II, it served as a garrison for the occupying German army. Today, it's a symbol of Polish resistance to occupiers. The war in Afghanistan had only been going on for five years, the war in Iraq winding down, with Poland to withdraw the last of its 2,500 troops from Iraq the following year. But the Polish buildup in Afghanistan would come. The Polish brigade in Iraq, and later in Afghanistan, had a core group of Illinois Army National Guard troops embedded in its command structure. Since shortly after the collapse of the Soviet Union and its military alliance, the Warsaw Pact, the Illinois National Guard has been partnered with Poland in training and combat missions, all of which leads to why my wife and I were sitting at one of those China-laden tables with the three-star commander of the Polish Army. As a small-town, downstate Illinois lawyer in the St. Louis suburb of Belleville, Illinois, 
I'd been serving as a part-time soldier in the Illinois Army National Guard for 25 years. My wife as a circuit judge in felony court. Neither of us had any diplomatic experience. Neither of us spoke any Polish beyond Dzień Dobry, which means good day. With a year under my belt as a one-star brigadier general, I'd been selected to become the next commanding general of the Illinois National Guard, more than 13,000 soldiers and airmen, and with that, a promotion to major general. Each year in August, Poland commemorates the Battle of Jasnogora, where 70 Polish monks and 180 volunteers held off an invading force of 4,000 Swedish soldiers. Pilgrims, including Polish soldiers, marched 140 miles from Warsaw to Czestochowa, the site of the besieged monastery back in the 1600s. The Polish military invite NATO allies to the ceremonies. A half-dozen Illinois Army National Guard soldiers, several of them Polish-speaking Chicagoans, took part in the march. The event provides an opportunity for NATO senior military leaders to meet formally and informally to resolve issues and strengthen bonds. The U.S. four-star general commanding UCOM, that's the European Command, commands all the U.S. military forces in 51 countries of Europe and has responsibility for Russia and Israel as well. The German three-star army commander and a host of other generals and admirals were in attendance. As my wife and the Polish three-star's wife conversed, the Polish general, whose father had been imprisoned by the communists, observed me swatting a mosquito on my neck. The Vistula River, Poland's longest, provides a nearby breeding ground for them. The general said, Ah, the mosquitoes, they're just like the Russians, annoying and bloodthirsty. The general's comment provided a not-to-be-forgotten lesson in the length of Polish memory. A few days later, we generals took off our dress uniforms, put on combat uniforms, and left the diplomatic missions of Warsaw to join the foot-weary soldiers for the last few kilometers of the march. We formed up at the head of the column to march down the crowd-lined street. As we marched, civilians threw flowers at our feet, and occasionally an elderly woman, obviously a World War II survivor, would reach out to hand us a rose. As a soldier with decades of service, I knew well the protocol for marching with other officers. Senior officer at the far right of the column. The next senior officer to his left. The next senior officer to his left. With the most junior officer to the very far left. As a lowly one star, I was the junior officer at the head of the column. The proper order from right to left. American four star. German three star. He had more time and grade as a three-star than the Pole. Polish three-star, American one-star. That would be me. Each of the other officers knew the protocol as well as I did. Yet the Polish general kept grabbing my arm to insert me between him and the German three-star in violation of all military protocol. After the third time he pulled me to his right, I finally realized that he didn't want to have the television cameras or the news photographers picturing him next to the German three-star. Thereafter, I stayed in place to protect the Polish general from the potential embarrassment of having his photo taken next to the German. 
The Germans, after all, had invaded and devastated Poland during World War II. Some memories die hard. The Polish enmity for both Germans and Russians, who invaded Poland so many times, was brought home later to me when a Polish officer told me his favorite riddle. The Polish soldier has only one bullet left in his pistol. Who does he shoot, the Russian or the German? The answer, is it for business or for pleasure? Exactly one year later, August 2008, I was back in Poland, now a two-star general, at the same conference. Many of the generals and admirals were the same. As we met the Russians, invaded Georgia. The same German general and the same Polish general huddled together as I overheard the Germans say, we must hang together against the Russians or we will all hang separately. The previous year's distrust of the Germans now overcome by the even greater danger of the Russian bear. With Russia gathering tens of thousands of troops on the Ukrainian border, its invasion of Crimea and its blatant aggression in eastern Ukraine, the old jokes are no longer being told, and the rifles are being loaded. This has been Bill Enyart with Reflections from the River. You can email me at bill at billenyart.com. That's B-I-L-L at B-I-L-L-E-N-Y-A-R-T dot com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>